Hey, thanks for joining us at Praise Chapel. We hope you enjoy this message from our midweek service with David Diga Hernandez. Also, we'd love to hear what God has done in your life. To share your story, email us at info at pcparamount.org. Again, we hope you enjoy this message. Amen. Can we give Jesus a hand of praise? Well, I'm excited to be here tonight and actually be doing our first service here for the new year. I almost said 2018 just now. That, that's how conditioned I am. But how many are excited to be here at Praise Chapel Paramount, where God is moving, big things are happening? And so I want to get into the message here, and then Steve is just going to prep like usual, and because you never know where we're going. Uh, so just be ready for that, man. But uh, I want to minister tonight on the fire of evangelism. And I want to talk to you about how God is going to use you this year to win your loved ones to Jesus. Because I believe with all my heart that this is going to be a year, yes, of increase in all different ways, but primarily I believe that we are going to see an unprecedented amount of people give their hearts to Jesus this year. And I think that now is the time to let your faith rise And now is the time to lay claim on your family. Now is the time to begin to pray and speak their names before God and begin to ask God to save your family, your friends, your co-workers, the people you come into contact with because this is the year, I believe, of salvation and miracles and healing. And God is going to do many things, but primarily we are believing for the salvation of the lost. And God wants to use you. God wants to use your life. God wants to use your influence. God wants to speak through your mouth. God wants to heal through your hands. He wants to move through your being. And as you lay down your life, as you surrender to Him, you become a vessel through which God can reach people around you. All of us know someone who needs Jesus. Every single one of us knows someone who needs deliverance. Maybe some of you know some demon-possessed people too. But we all know someone who needs an encounter with God. And so I want to read out of Exodus chapter 3, beginning at verse number 1. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. And this is a very familiar passage of Scripture. We've all, if we've been in church any length of time, have heard this portion of Scripture before. But I hope to present it to you tonight in a fresh way, in a way that inspires you to step out in faith, to step out of the place of comfort, to step out of what you think your limitations are, and into the place where God can begin to use your life to deliver the captive and set the sinner free. In Exodus chapter 3, the scripture says, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it did not burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. 
I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Verse 7 says, Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. So here we see that Moses has this incredible encounter with God that was, number one, unexpected, and number two, very disruptive. Because when you have an encounter with God, when you truly come into contact with His glory, when you truly have stepped beyond the veil and into His presence, and you have seen God and heard God for yourself, everything about you becomes disrupted. All of your plans are turned upside down. And here God is coming to Moses and telling him that he hears the cry of his children, Israel. He hears the cry of those enslaved. He hears the cry of those who are suffering under the hand of their taskmasters, the Egyptians. And really, Israel under slavery to the Egyptians is a prophetic picture of the world around us in slavery to sin. And here God comes to confront the issue, but God does not go himself to Pharaoh. God does not go himself to the land of the Egyptians. Instead, when God gets ready to deliver the captives, he comes and he finds a man who will step into his presence. When God is getting ready to set a people free, he does not step into it himself. We don't understand God's ways. His ways are higher than our ways. The scripture says that he uses the foolish things to confound the wise. I don't know why God has chosen to use you and I, but he has chosen to use you and I. And he steps into Moses' realm. He comes face to face with him. He disrupts his day. He disrupts his plans. And he comes into contact with him to tell him one thing. There is a people who needs deliverance. There is a people, and I can hear their cry, and I am sending you. And so Moses and God have this dialogue back and forth. And Moses begins to tell God all of the reasons why he is disqualified from being the one to tell the people about their liberty. But God insists on using Moses and eventually sends him. And all of us know the story. Eventually, God brings the children of Israel out of captivity, and he leads this nation through Moses until Joshua takes over. It's a powerful story of the delivering power of God. But I want you to take notice here that when God chooses a vessel, when God marks a man or a woman, He marks them in the place of his presence. God is looking for people to use. But he's not looking in the colleges. He's not looking in Wall Street. God is not looking at the prestigious institutes that the world has esteemed. God is looking in the prayer room. God is looking in the secret place. Moses was serving. Moses was tending to the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. And God found him in that place serving. My question to you is this. When God is looking to deliver the people around you, will he find you in the place of prayer? 
Will he find you in the secret place? Will he find you in a surrendered position? Or will he have to overlook you and find someone else? The scripture says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, very familiar portion, you all know it, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I want you to notice here that when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, He comes upon you for one primary purpose. Yes, He leads us in holiness. Yes, He reveals the Word of God to us. Yes, He helps us to pray and to worship. But the primary purpose of the Pentecostal power that we've been entrusted with is to go and be witnesses everywhere. And you notice that it begins... In a city, Jerusalem. And then it moves to regions, Judea and Samaria. And then and only then does it go to all parts of the world. God uses us incrementally in proportion to our surrender. If you want to be used in the nations, you must first be used in your home. If you want to be used in your city, you must be first used in your home. You must first impact the people around you. We often wait for public platforms and exposure that exceeds what others think is possible. But God has already given to you exposure. God has already given to you influence. God has already positioned people in front of you. My question is, do you hear the cry? God says, I can hear the cry. Can you? Can you hear the cry of the drug addicted? Can you hear the cry of the depressed? Can you hear the cry of the children whose parents are going through a divorce? Can you hear the cry of the suicidal and the sinful? Can you hear the cry of the one who is alone but too prideful to admit it? If you've been touched by the glory of God, if you've experienced his presence, if you've come into contact with that power, there is one primary result that comes from it, and that is this fire of evangelism that begins to stir within you. If you don't care if people meet Jesus, I doubt you've ever met him yourself. When you come into contact with who he is, when you truly come to know his power, Everything in you wants to tell the world that Jesus saves. Everything in you wants to tell the world that Jesus is the way. When was the last time you told someone that Jesus is the way? When was the last time that you reached out and tried to preach the gospel to someone who needed Christ? There's a show that I enjoy watching. It's about these business investors that invest in different projects. You've seen it a million times. My poor wife has seen it a million and one. And I love this show because it's actual reality TV. There's no scripts. People come before investors. They try to get startup cash for their company. And this woman brought these flowers on the show. And she was talking about how beautiful these flowers look and how realistic they look. And it was a great business model. She had great numbers. I mean, everything about it was just, I I thought she's going to get an investment, for sure. And then, one of the investors spoke spoke up. It was a woman. She actually pulled out and said, you're not going to get an investment from me today. And it was for one simple reason. It's that the flowers simply weren't real. 
You know the difference, the only real difference that you can tell between these flowers that are fake and these flowers that are real? I mean, they have some that by the technology has advanced so much that to the touch, they feel like real flowers. They've added scent to them now, and you can smell them, and they smell like real flowers. They look like real flowers. They smell like real flowers. They feel like real flowers. The only difference nowadays is that real flowers reproduce. Christianity has become a culture. And you can look saved. You can dress saved. You can talk saved. But a real Christian reproduces. Ye shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I was reading this scripture, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And this is one of my favorite portions of scripture because it's, it's such a testimony to the boldness that the Holy Spirit gives to us. The scripture quite simply says, but Peter replied, each one of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And I thought this was amazing because here Peter, we see, is standing before thousands of people on the day of Pentecost and he's preaching the gospel. This is the same Peter who only some time before was cowering in the darkness and denying that he even knew Jesus. The only difference between the Peter who denied Jesus and the Peter who proclaimed the gospel was the power of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he gives you boldness. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he gives you the words to speak. The Holy Spirit is the key to reaching the heart of the stubborn. The Holy Spirit in his power knows how to open the heart of the sinner to the gospel. And he knows how to convict the soul. Peter, who had shied away from ever even knowing Jesus, from the knowledge that he ever even knew Jesus, was now proclaiming the gospel. And for every time he denied Jesus, that was three times, for every time he denied Jesus, he won a thousand people to the Lord. He won 3,000 people. God can redeem you. God can empower you. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, We see the scripture tells us that the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. They have this power on them. The early church that changed the world. You know what it was that toppled the Roman government? It was the preaching of the apostles. Study the history of it, and you will see that the message of the gospel was the undoing of one of the greatest nations the world has ever seen. But they carried something special with them. These were believers who in the face of persecution, caused the gospel to be spread on the global scene. They were so in love with Jesus. 
They were so filled with boldness that they were willing to lay down their lives for the gospel. What are you going to do if persecution comes to America? Then and only then would we see what is culture and what is actual commitment. But one of the things I notice here is that they were just ordinary people. No special training in scriptures whatsoever. They were just people who had been with Jesus. It wasn't their knowledge. It wasn't their skill set. The world doesn't need that. It has plenty on its own. The world needs people who have been with Jesus. Someone who's actually spoken with him. Someone who's actually talked with him. Someone who actually knows him. And they're waiting for you. They're waiting for you to preach the gospel. When we stand before God, We're not, we're not judged for our sins in a way that the sinner is judged for their sins. We're, we're forgiven. We stand before God. Everything we've done is covered. But you know, I can't get over the scripture. And I did an end times study recently. It took me like 12 weeks just to teach it. I talked about the rapture and I talked about the dead in Christ. And I talked about Abraham's bosom and all of those things and how they all interact. Well, it's a very confusing topic if you don't study the scripture carefully. One of the things that bothered me, and I did not have an answer for it, was one of like the three questions that I couldn't find an answer that satisfied me. That was the fact that he's going to wipe away every tear from their eye, which means that some people have certain regrets in heaven even when the scripture talks about him judging and weighing our deeds, that some will go away, but they'll escape just merely by the fire. And I wonder what that regret would be to know that had I just opened my mouth, that person would be in heaven with me. Had I just spoke, that person would be with me. You know, you hear that saying, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. All they used was words in the scripture. Sure, do both. I like to say that the gospel is a seed, and acts of love is how you water it, but there's no sense in watering them if there's no seed. God has given us this, this, this responsibility. The scripture says necessity is laid on us to preach the gospel. Paul the apostle said, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Every day over 150,000 people pass into eternity. Many of them without ever having known Christ. What are we doing about that? Your mother, your father, your children, your cousins, your aunt, your uncle. These are souls. 
the Holy Spirit gives us power. You may be afraid. And you may say, I don't have the words to speak. He promises to give you the words to speak. You may say, I don't have that boldness. He promises to give you that boldness. It's not a personality thing because it has nothing to do with your personality. It has to do with the Holy Spirit. And He can empower each one of you. But the key here is the question. Have you truly come into contact with the power of God? Have you truly come into contact with His presence and His glory? That's the difference. And once you have tasted, once you have seen, once you have encountered, you'll never be the same again. It transforms you. When the power of God touches you, you go from being shy and worrying about what people are going to think to they can't shut you up about Jesus. The power comes on you in such a way that Jesus is on your mouth. Jesus is on your mind. You say, all you talk about is Jesus. Well, he's the only thing worth talking about. I want people to know this love. Don't you remember the joy that you felt when your sins were forgiven? Don't you remember the joy that you felt when you finally had peace of mind? Don't you remember the joy that you experienced when you were fulfilled and you felt your burdens lifted and you sensed for the first time that your soul was clean, that you were accepted by God, that you were one with your creator? That same joy I want others to experience because I have tasted, I have seen, I have come into contact with the fire of God, and that is what causes me to preach the gospel. I always do, when I do the salvation altar call, one of my favorite things to do is the salvation altar call. And to me, it's, it's somewhat of an art because it's, it's, it's partly spirit. And then the other part is you have to kind of stand out of the way, but at the same time present it in a way it deserves to be presented. One of my favorite things to do is the people will come up. Some of you have seen me do this before. The people come up. And I'll go down the line. I just start talking to the people and let, letting them know they're forgiven. And you'll see tears coming down their face. It's one of the most beautiful things. Tears streaming down their face. And I'll look at, I'll, look at, I'll find one individual who looks like they're really being touched by God. And I'll, I'll, I'll ask them to think of the worst thing they've ever done. And so usually they think, they're like, is this guy going to have me say this publicly? Which I never do that. But, and then I tell them this. I say, I want you to put that in your mind, the worst thing you've ever done. And I tell them, after tonight, that never happened. And every single time, if you've ever been on the platform with me, you, you would see it. Every single time, there's just this relief that comes over them. That is the joy of salvation. That is what Jesus does. He forgives sinners and he removes the debt that we owe. Do you realize that what you have is the good news? It's the, it's the most important message that has ever been preached. I understand there are other causes, there are other messages, but think about the gospel in comparison to these. I mean, you talk about feeding the hungry, great. What good does it do to feed a man today who goes to hell tomorrow? You talk about clothing the naked, great, but that only meets the needs of the body. Every cause that you can think of is temporary, except for the gospel. It 
is the most important message? And I want you to ask yourself, when's the last time you told someone the good news? I'm not just talking about the person at the cash register. I, I believe that's, you know, sometimes that's a little rude. You got to be in the spirit. A big line behind you and you stop in the whole line. Some would disagree with me. That's okay. But you know what I find is the most effective form of evangelism, the way the early church did it? Relationship. Yes, of course. I call, I call that like cold calling. It's cold evangelism. you just random stranger. But then the other one, you start with who you know. You have the greatest news. Think about it. You have the greatest news the world has ever known. We just celebrated Christmas. You heard these songs? Think of the lyrics talking about the birth of Jesus. I love that line, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. That is the message we declare. Reach out, yes, all forms of evangelism. I was being funny a minute ago, but I'm serious. Wherever the Holy Spirit leads you. So that's one question I want you to ask yourself. When is the last time you shared the gospel with someone? Not invited them to church. Shared the gospel. And the second question I want to ask you is who do you know that needs to hear the gospel? I went street preaching one time with, uh, many of you know him, Jed Smock. When I was 15, 16 years old, I used to do a lot of college campus preaching. And I would go with him and a couple others, and they would take me and they would teach me. I tried to learn all different types of evangelism. I like to be cross-pollinated. <laughs> so he took me, and for a couple of years, I would go on college campuses, and I would preach. And I learned how to debate atheists, and I got into a couple of debates with philosophy professors, and the first few made me feel like this. And then the more you study, the more you know, and then you become more well-rounded. The scripture talks about, you know, study to show thyself approved. And I remember preaching at 16 years old, and I had a crowd of, oh my goodness, must have been 100 college students all yelling at me at once. I preached, I did that one time at a, a, a uh, one time at a party. I went into the party underage drinking. Now the scripture says to, to, be, to be as innocent as doves, but wise as serpents. I went into the party and I said, hey, I noticed there's, there's underage drinking. I'll give you two options. A, I call the cops. Or B, you give me five minutes to preach the gospel. So you can guess they didn't want to end their party. I had beer bottles thrown at me. I had people cussing at me. One person knew me. They said, tell Diga to be quiet. I kid you not, I even saw a church leader in the party getting drunk. When they saw me, man, they, they, they turned flush red, turned out and left the party. And I'm standing on a chair preaching, and I remember everyone's telling me, why don't you go do that on your own? I mean, just any insult. And people were manifesting. I saw one, one kid who was screaming every time I said Jesus. And most of them rejected the gospel. But I said, if you want to follow Jesus, I want you to reject all of this and follow me out of the party. There was one kid who followed me out of the party, gave his life to Jesus, and he started going to church after that. 
That's, what, that's the power of the gospel. It goes into the dark places. But anyway, there were more instances like this. But one of the instances stuck out of my mind most because I learned something about the truth of the gospel. And I'm going to close with this story. So I'm there with Jed Smock on a college campus. And I'm preaching. And, and then I, I moved to the side and I let the master do his work because he was much better at it than me. He, his philosophy was you got to be like an infomercial, really animated, and then you can actually, he says, he told me, you can actually get them to preach the gospel to each other while you're gone. So they would imitate him while he's gone. They would imitate him and be preaching and not even know it. <laughs> they're making fun of him, but they're actually preaching the gospel while they're doing it. So I'm watching him, and he's preaching about hell, and he's preaching about salvation. You know, the gospel is only good news if you know the bad news first. People don't want the, the, the cure until they know they have the sickness. And so he's preaching the gospel. He's talking about sin. He's talking about repentance. He's talking about hell. And this one Christian stands up. I'll never forget it. It was one of those college-type Christians. You guys know what I'm talking about. Not everyone who's in college is one of these, but a lot of these who are in college are. There's a distinction I made there. And so this person comes. And he stands up. I just remember just, I just thought this guy is a snob. I just, I remember watching him. And he goes, I want everyone to know, very dramatic, that what this man is preaching is not love. He says, I would never judge you and neither would Jesus. He's like a hippie, man. <laughs> and he says, Jesus came to preach love and acceptance. And he's just, I mean, he's literally just, contradicting everything that Je is just reading scripture from the Bible. And I'll never forget this. One of the atheists stands up. And I thought, oh, great, they're going to tag team on Brother Jed now. <laughs> and he tells the guy, he says, you know, I've been watching both of you here. They're both preaching to me about hell, and do you, you, you think that's in the Bible? The Christian says, yes, it's in the Bible, but God loves you, and don't worry. He says, okay. He says, I've concluded it can only be one of two things. He says, this man's out here, and I think he cares enough to come and tell us what he really believes. He says, either you don't really care about us, or you don't really believe it. That was coming from an atheist. And this is the truth. When it comes to winning the loss and souls, you got to ask yourself, is it that I don't care? Or is it that I don't believe it? Because if you don't preach the gospel, those are the only two options you have. It's not the message that I'm supposed to preach only, or Pastor Omar, or Pastor David. This is the message of all believers. So I want to challenge you. The way you rekindle that is you got to get back into the presence of God. you got to get back into the place of deep surrender to the Holy Spirit. you got to get back into the place where you're seeking His face regularly. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount or visit our website at Praise Chapel Paramount dot com.